And Susan Collenberg. Freedom to Choose is brought to you by Just As I Am Ministries, a nonprofit that gives hope and help to those lost in addiction. Rich and Susan are a husband and wife team who found grace and freedom from 20 years of addiction to drugs and alcohol. They broke free from their bondage 15 years ago and are here to share their experience of God's power in recovery. God can change lives. Now, here's Rich and Susan with freedom to choose. Hello, everyone. My name is Rich Collenberg. And my name is Susan Collenberg. Susan, last time we talked about heading in a different direction. And uh, are we going to continue that talk today? Yes, today we are going to continue talking about heading um, our lives in a different direction. Okay. You know, today I think what we can do is answer some of the questions that come up as to how we can change the direction of our lives by giving ourselves to God. And once again, um, I know that that's what I've found, and I know that's what my wife Susan has found, is the only way to change the direction of of a life is to give it to God. Correct. Because it is, I've watched many people try their way. Their way never did work. And it still is not working. And uh, anyway, Susan, will you begin today's program with a word of prayer? Yes. Our loving Father in heaven, thank you so much for this new day of life. And we just pray that you will reach out and touch hearts and minds today, that uh, we will be impressed about how we go about changing our lives and getting in a new direction and relying totally on you and yet still participating in this thing that we call life. We're so grateful that we have this opportunity, and we just pray now that you will send your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Do you believe that you have that necessary connection with God? How is your prayer life? Could you be shutting God out? Let me tell you a story. Soon after my recovery from alcohol and methamphetamine addiction, I was hired on as a superintendent for a concrete contractor. I'm still wondering what they were thinking (laughs) when they hired me, but they did. Some wonderful people, very good friends of of ours now. You know what? I think what happens is is when things start to change, we see uh, that God really works in our lives. And even the littlest things to the biggest things, he he blesses us abundantly. Yeah, he must have moved on their hearts because I don't know why. Not the nicest people in, in the world, just, just wonderful, wonderful friends. Yeah. So anyway, they hired me. And uh, after a few years, the company became very successful. And at one point, I was managing six crews and about 40 people. Now, this involved dealing with, and if you ever managed people, you know what I'm talking about. You don't manage people, you manage what? Emotions. Emotions. <laughs> you manage emotions. And so this this uh, company uh, managed them. It was a very broad spectrum of people, anywhere from drug addicts to churchgoers. And I recall a problem I had with a certain foreman. You know, he was a very good man, well qualified, and I... I really liked him a lot. We got along. We saw eye to eye, and he was really a good friend. In fact, everybody that uh, worked for us, I considered good friends. You know, it's one of those companies that people just stuck around. There was not a big turnover of people. And uh, but this foreman, he had a problem. His problem was that he just couldn't seem to show up at work on time. And uh, 
It would happen about once or twice a week. And I worked with him and I worked with him. I even put better qualified lead men with him so as to help him overcome that bad habit. But the problem was that, you know, once that starts happening, these types of things with people in lead positions, the the bad habit starts flowing downhill. Well, it starts affecting other people. Starts, yeah. They start asking questions. So it was flowing down to the workers, and it began some animosity and uh, bad things being said about him and about how I was running the company, and it was getting worse well, and worse. Well, it wasn't fair. It wasn't fair, you know. And so I, you know, I warned him about what was going on, you know. He's on the bubble, this and that, and, you know, it was going to cost him his job if he didn't get it together. Now, believe it or not, and I'm not real proud to say this, this went on for nearly three years. I did everything I could for him, even covering for him at times, full well knowing that I was risking the harmony and well-being of our company. Then there came the day when I got a call from a supervisor on a job that we were working on, wondering where the man was. There was a concrete truck sitting there, on the job and no one there to pour it. That was it. The quote-unquote line in the sand was drawn. I had to do what I had to do, This and I, so I took his truck and his position way and I laid him off. Now, who drew the line in the sand? Who made the decision? See, it, it appears on the surface that I was the one who drew the line in the sand because of the measures that I took against him, but that's not the case. This man drew the line in the sand by his behavior. He knew full well the consequences of his actions, what they would be, if he were to con continue in that behavior. So he drew the line in the sand. God has done and is doing everything he can to help us. We ought not force his hand. God doesn't draw that line in the sand. We do. When we ignore the consequences of our choices, God's there to help us and pull us out of those situations that are destroying us. That's his job, and he's very good at what he does. The fact that we had chosen to leave God in the past doesn't mean that God doesn't exist or that he has abandoned us. We're not in some way locked out of his presence because of some of the things that we've done, but... Could we be drawing a line in the sand right now by not inviting him into our lives? Are we drawing a line in the sand by even neglecting prayer? Susan, let's talk a little bit about prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is the breath of the soul. Simply put, prayer is conversation with God as with a friend. As with a friend. That's right. And believe it or not, he actually is our friend. Prayer does not bring God down to our level. It helps us to ascend to his. You know, someone once said that we will never rise any higher than we put our own benchmark. So in other words, if we, um, if we choose something other than God as, our, um, as what we want to worship, if you will, mm -hmm. as what is our benchmark, then that will never rise any higher than that. You know, but when you put an infinitely powerful, infinitely wonderful, infinitely loving God as your benchmark, what do you then, you may, you, there's no, there's no bar. Right. You, you and, keep raising the bar. Right. And the Bible says we're changed by beholding. Right. So as we behold someone who's loving and infinite and all powerful, 
then not that we'll become all powerful, but we hopefully will become loving and um, and more like Him. Yeah, because the Bible says, "By beholding, we become changed." Correct. Right. Yes. By beholding, we become changed. You ever watch children come out of a, a like a karate movie or something? Mm-hmm. What are they doing? They're doing they're, karate. They're doing karate because by hope that that's what by beholding we are changed. In the, so I remember, you know, growing up, I was in a lot of rock and roll bands. And one of my idols was Jimmy Page for Led Zeppelin. And so naturally, I learned all the songs with guitar and, and, you know, tried to act like him and everything else because that's what I was beholding. And see, this different direction is now we behold this being called God who's infinitely powerful and infinitely loving. And hopefully, if we're true to heart and beholding him, with the earnest desire, searching for him as hard as we search for our addictions, we will become changed into that image. Now, see, God understands what you're going through. Now, think of him as a doctor on call 24 hours a day. Jesus is the great physician, is he not? Yes, he is. Um, and I wonder um, what it makes God feel like sometimes because He's given us the remedy for our problem, has he not? Yes, he has. He says, come to me and I will in no wise cast you out. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So all we have to do, we read the Bible, it says, come to Jesus, right? What do you suppose a doctor would do if he knew he had your cure and he gave you the medication and all you had to do was take the medication and you would be cured. But instead, you drive home and throw the medication out the window. You see, and I often think about this and what my relationship with God is. And am I sometimes throwing that medication out the window? And what does that make him feel like? Because he's saying, just come to me, trust me, and I will make you well. I am the great physician. Search for me and you will find me if you search for me with all your heart. And that's all he asks. That's all he asks is search for me. And he can renew a right spirit within us and and, give us a new heart. Yeah, and that's the medication. And yet we drive home and throw that medication out. Now think about the doctor as he watches that patient lying in the bed, dying because he didn't take that medication. How bad are we hurting God when we don't take the medication? You know, the Lord's acquainted with your situation. Nothing escapes his notice. He will hear your prayers, for he is a prayer-hearing and prayer-answering God. Put your trust in him, and he will certainly bring relief in his own way. That's from the book Evangelism, page 392. Now, when in prayer, focus on the positive. Don't dwell on the negative. Dwelling on the negative keeps that part of the brain active. And when it's active, the positive part of the brain isn't. Have you ever, like, walked into a room and there's somebody that's positive? Yes. It's contagious, right? Yes. But have you ever walked in a room and someone is negative? Yes. It's also contagious, isn't it? And I don't know, maybe it's a positive person can make a whole room positive because everybody starts thinking positive. Mm -hmm. And so, like Susan just said, dwelling on the negative keeps that part of the brain active. So what do we do? We need to pray for the new habits that uh, you may want God to help you create in place of your bad ones. So, um, you know, like for me, um, it was, I was a smoker. And so I had to be praying about wanting 
to to be a non-smoker. Uh-huh. Okay. And so did you pray for some good new habits? I did. Because, see, that's, you know, there's an old saying, you cannot stamp out sin. You can only crowd it out. The gambler can't sit in front of the casino in his car and say, I'm not going to gamble. I'm not going to gamble. I'm not going to gamble. It doesn't work that way. Our bad habits have got to be crowded out with good behavior and good habits. That's right. And and in order to do that, um, positive thinking is a really good thing. That's right. And it, it's that is a habit, a behavioral addiction in and of itself. Negative thinking, critical spirit, talking bad about people, Those that's behavioral addiction. And somehow we get some kind of relief when we do that. Maybe it makes us feel better when we talk bad about other people. But so what does it mean to be positive? It, 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 what it means is to be confident, optimistic, focusing on good things rather than bad things. Right. And when we pray, we should be praying um, with, uh, have confident prayers and thanking God for the changes that are occurring in our lives. You know, we can all look back on our lives and reflect on the constructive and positive things that have been happening. You know, that's a good reason to journal. It's a really good reason to journal because, and I know I never did it when I first got clean and sober, but, sober, but my wife did. And um, I don't look at her journal, but some of the things that, uh, you know, when we go give seminars and talk to people, she does bring up some certain things that uh, were very important to her along the way that, that now really won't even come to her mind. What Susan, what three things did you want more than anything in the world when you first got clean and sober? Well, I wanted to stay clean and sober. I wanted to stay out of jail and I wanted to live. Those were the three three now, things that I wanted. Now those are things that normal people take for granted. Right. Okay. Normal people that don't usually do don't drugs, go to jail. They usually don't go to jail. They usually don't have to pray I want to live and they don't pray to stay clean and sober. So now those prayers, that that's in your rearview mirror, right? Correct. But looking back on that, is it important that we look in that rearview mirror as as far as what God has done and how far he's brought us? Because, see, one of, my, one of the worst things that I say to myself when I'm beating myself up is I'm just the same old person. I just don't do dope. And my wife says, no, you're not. No, you're not. She reassures me that I am a changed person. But see, that's from her point of view. And when I want to beat myself up, that's the the excuse I use. Right. We can always beat ourselves up. Right. So the brain and the body, how much are they connected? You see, our minds and our bodies are gifts from God, and they are closely related. How we feel physically will impact how we feel mentally. Now, I know that because I'm borderline as it is. Everything's related. We can't neglect our bodies without that neglect impacting our minds. Right. First Corinthians 3.16 says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? That's right. Thinking of our bodies as a dwelling place of God's spirit, we may be, may be a new way of thinking, but if we desire, we can choose to give the Holy Spirit a welcome home and a good healthy diet and plenty of water and exercise. That's right. Do you exercise? I do. Do you drink plenty of water? I try to. Did you always like drinking water? No. no and I didn't like to exercise either. I, I never did exercise. I was, you know, really thin because of the crank or the cocaine or whatever, and I never had a need to to be fit. Yeah, you know, um, when 
I don't know, it was about the year 2000. I'd been four years clean and sober. And it just came to me that, you know what, I want my body back. You know, when I'd gotten out of high school, I, you know, I graduated class valedictorian and I was very athletic and whatnot. And then I got into drug addiction for about 24 years or so. And when I got clean and sober, I was not that healthy. And so I began running again and drinking lots and lots and lots of water. And I was trying to convince my wife at that time that this is what you need to do. Isn't it funny when we do something, we want everybody else to do it. And so uh. she, you know, she was not, she, she never was that athletic in, in high school. And so she w- did not want anything to do with this exercise stuff and especially the water drinking. And so every once in a while we would go take a walk. It would be about a half mile um, down the lane and turn around and come a half mile back. And, and her lungs would burn so bad that she would be going so slow that I would literally run circles around her as we ran just so that she could, so that, you know, we could talk and I couldn't breathe. She couldn't breathe. Um, and it took a long time. It took a lot of, uh, discipline. And if I may say so, I'm very proud of her. Now she runs five to she ran six miles this morning and yesterday, (laughs) yesterday she ran six miles, but this took a long time. It's taken years, taken years to uh, get back in shape. To get back in shape. 15 and, uh, years. How much? 15. 15 years, that's right. When is your... On the 11th. On... May. Oh, so it was on the it was on the 11th of May. That's when you're 15. Correct. Yeah. So I okay. passed my 15th year. That's right. Clean and sober. Yeah. So, um, so remember now that a healthier body means a healthier mind. And your healthy mind is where God wants to dwell. Right. He knows what we've done to ourselves physically and mentally... So not only does he want us to get healthy so that we can feel better, he wants us to get healthy so we can think better. He simply wants us to recover the ability to think straight. Yeah, see, when I got clean and sober, I could barely read again. You know, and I mean, here I was, you know, I was not a bad student in high right. school. class valedictorian, class president. But, uh, yeah, I'd smoked my brain. And so um, to get healthy, that, that helped me get closer to God. See, another way to have a healthy spiritual life and a healthy mind is to starve out that old nature. Right. Romans 6, 6 says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be destroyed, that from now on we should not serve sin. He's talking about this old man that's crucified. See, that old man, that's that old man that I walked away from that liked to do drugs and liked to swear. And, you know, when he got angry, he just let everybody know it and... uh, that's that old man that we walk away from, right? But it's not easy because that old man lets you know all the time that he's there, doesn't he? That's right. He wants to rear his ugly head. So, so what I like to do, I like to look at crucifying that old man like this. You remember Michael Phelps? Yes. How many gold medals did Michael Phelps win? Eight gold medals. Okay. But what was the cost? See, Phelps competed in 17 races overall in just nine days. And uh, what toll did that have on the body? I'm sure a great toll. It did. Phelps swam a total of 30 miles. And in doing so, he burned nine marathons worth of calories in the course of those Olympic Games. So what do you suppose Mr. Phelps has for breakfast? This boggles the mind. Now, when you're full, 
let me know. Okay? When anybody's full, let me know. Three fried egg sandwiches with cheese, lettuce, tomatoes, and fried onions and mayos, plus one five-egg omelet, that's right, five-egg omelet, plus a bowl of grits, plus three slices of French toast with powdered sugar, plus three chocolate chip pancakes, and two, two cups of coffees. See, and altogether, you know, during the whole day, Phelps consumes 12 thousand calories this is what he consumes while he's in training compared to the 2500 to 3000 calories a day that u.s food and drug administration would recommend for men and men depending on age of course and activity level phelps's diet seems outrageous but it is in fact a completely normal diet for an olympic athlete now what would happen if we didn't feed mr phelps each day he went without eating, the lesser and lesser his chances of winning would be in any swimming race until even I could beat him. Now, let me go a little farther with this illustration. Remember last week we said we'd talk about Mr. Sister and Twister, or cats? Well, Twister's no longer around because Twister got hit by a car, hit by a car and didn't make it. But Mr. is a very large cat. And he eats a lot. And he's an inside cat. He weighs 21 pounds. He weighs 21 pounds. And Twister is an outside cat. But Twister, when she first rolled in, had what? She had worms. Mm -hmm. And so I would feed Twister probably twice as much as I was feeding Mr. The problem was that the worms were taking all the nutrition. That's the way it is when you dance with the world. You could be putting spiritual stuff in, but if you're still not, if you're still feeding that old man, it will take that spiritual nutrition away. In fact, if you continue to feed that old man, that spiritual food will no longer taste good. It will no longer taste good. I remember uh, I, I like to listen to Bible tapes, and every once in a while they'll put... Uh, They'll put my radio on full. One of your workers. Yeah, they'll put my radio on full blast and put it on a hard rock and roll channel. And one time I kicked the tape out, and that hard rock and roll channel came on, and I kind of liked the song, and I listened to it, and I listened to the next one, and the next one, and the next one. And I'll tell you what, I, until I realized what happened, when I put that Bible tape back in, it no longer tasted good. You know what I'm saying? And that's the way it is when we feed that old man. We need to starve that old man out. And what that means is walking away from that old behavior, heading a different direction, taking our problems to God. Our addiction is not an option anymore. Correct. And we're spending time in prayer. We're memorizing scripture. We're changing our thoughts in our brain. We're, we're, we're feeding our body not only spiritually, but physically. We're doing the right things. We're getting exercise. We're getting fresh air. We're... Um, studying the Bible, we're drinking water, we're doing all those things that are changing who we yeah, are. Yeah, crowding out that bad behavior with good behavior, giving ourselves every chance that we possibly can to get well. Because that's what the name of the game is, is to get well. Now next week, we're going to talk about erasing errors. And actually, we're going to learn how to apologize. So we want to hope that everybody tunes in next week to... Um, 
to learn how to do how to apologize how to write wrongs how to write wrongs how to make things okay not only with everybody around you but so it makes it okay with yourself because you know what we continue we go through life we put garbage in the bag the bag gets heavier and every time we make a mistake we put more garbage in that bag and we continue to drag that bag around and so that, we need to learn how to start emptying that bag emptying out. that bag out because that bag can get real heavy and there's only one person that can empty the bag and that's jesus christ and he teaches us he gives us the wherewithal to start pulling that garbage out of the bag one by one it doesn't come all out at once but one by one, we can pull garbage out of that bag, and that bag gets lighter and lighter, and life gets lighter and lighter. And we become changed people. That's right. Now remember, folks, there are only two ways to live your life. One is like nothing is a miracle, and the other is like everything is a miracle. And you have the freedom to choose. Do I love my neighbor? to choose. There truly is hope for anyone whose life is in captivity and being overrun with the devastation of addiction. Rich and Susan are living testimonials and have created a seven-step biblically-based handbook and a recovery workbook to move those you love toward freedom. If you'd like to order the Addiction Recovery Book for someone you know, or if you're a member of a church and you'd like to create a ministry in the area of addiction, Rich and Susan can help you get started. Please call Rich and Susan at 916 916- 645-1297 or go to justasiamministries.com as a nonprofit. They are blessed by people like you. 916-645-1297 or www.justasiamministries.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. <laughs>